welcome to Movies I've Seen. I'm Jackie Falco, and this is my podcast. Today's episode is a discussion between me and Sam about Ghostbusters Afterlife. And full disclosure, Sam and I have a Ghostbusters team, where we are Ghostbusters in Central Florida. We are the Tourist City Ghostbusters. Link to the Facebook page in the show notes. In case you hear any bias coming out in the discussion, that's what it's from. It's from being Ghostbusters for varying amounts of time. It's a long episode. I put in some chapters, so if one part is lagging, maybe you can skip to the next part. I did edit out a lot, but I wanted to keep the full range of personal stories and emotions in there because this movie means a lot to me and it means a lot to Sam. He's been a Ghostbuster longer than I have, and I wanted to give him space to talk about something that he's really passionate about. So there's a lot of that in there, too. The discussion starts now. Hey, Sam. Hey, Jackie. How many times have you seen Ghostbusters Afterlife so far? Um, all the way through probably six, I think. I think I've seen it three times, and it is wonderful. Yeah. It's very, very enjoyable. This is a spoilerful discussion. If you want to nope out before the spoilers, the basic review is it's a very, very good movie, heartwarming, engaging, very good pacing, really good acting. And it's a great sequel to Ghostbusters. Yes, agree. If you want to avoid spoilers, goodbye. Get out now. Good luck. Go watch it, then come back. I excel at explaining plots of things. All right, go ahead. Okay, in the beginning of the movie... There's like a prologue. Is that what it's called? Yeah, the cold open. Is what cold open. There's a cold open, and it's a old man with a pickup truck who is fighting some sort of ghost entity. He's got a ghost trap. He's definitely a ghostbuster, and it's definitely Egon. You can tell from the hair, and there's like some shots in the rearview mirror in the truck, and he is fighting a monster. He is driving really fast away from a mountain and a mine towards a farmhouse. Right, and he has a confrontation at the farmhouse where he holds up a ghost trap that's full of a ghost and something is like trying to walk into the field in front of his house, but it stops. And then he flips a giant switch and some big coils in the yard fire up, but then they fail. There's a power overload or something. And Egon Spangler runs inside the house, hides the trap in a floor puzzle, and then a terror dog, like, gets him, and uh, he dies. Yeah. And his legacy is continued by his daughter, um, who hated him, actually. Yes. So it's sort of an interesting opening to the movie, where we meet, her name is Callie. I feel like we don't hear her name a lot. They just call her mom. Well, they do call her mom a lot, but she says, I'm Callie. All right, we meet Callie, but she's Phoebe and Trevor's mom. Yeah. So I'm going to call her the mom. Okay. And their landlord is putting an eviction notice up on their front door. Yeah. And she's like, my father just died. I'm going to go get some money from his estate and I'll come back and pay the rent. And the landlord's like, uh. Well, and he's sitting there thinking about it. And then the power goes out because Phoebe is in the other room rewiring the entire apartment. Yes. To suit her science. Yes. So she can run a lathe. Which is made from her mom's hairdryer. And then the landlord's like, I wait for you to leave, then I change locks. Yes. Uh, It's a great introduction to both the kids and Callie, uh, because it shows their dynamic as a family. Trevor's sitting there getting his hair cut by his mom, because they probably can't afford to send him to get a haircut. Look at his hair. Um, (laughs) He's watching a... A car chase movie on his little tablet. Phoebe's in the other room ripping wires out of the walls to 
steal their neighbor's electricity so they can get some more juice. She's got heavy mad scientist vibes. Yeah. She turns around, she's got a big uh, spelunking lamp on her, the front of her head, a big headlamp. Yeah, it's a, which is a reference to Ghostbusters 1. Yeah. When Egon turns around, he's like, she's telling the truth, and the light hits Peter in the face. He's like, ah. And her mom holds her hand up, <laughs> yeah. and she's like, ah, turn the light off. And she's like, you didn't ask me if you could do this? She's like, well, you show zero aptitude for science. You're good at other things, like quesadillas. Your quesadillas are excellent. So she's not mean and disrespectful. No, they just they have a very informal relationship as a family unit because they have been like you know sticking together to survive the kids are uh a little mature for their age because they have to be and callie is a little immature for her age yeah she's pretty scrappy yeah um so they get evicted they get evicted and they go to oklahoma egon's house somerville oklahoma and they move into this very creepy looking big house. Where there's earthquakes happening for some reason. So weird. It's so weird. And so they're trying to get settled in this new town. And Trevor gets himself a job at a drive-up burger joint because there's a really pretty girl who works there. And he lies about his age to get the job. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. Yeah. Trevor gets the job, like you said. And then they also established that people, everybody in town knew of Egon, but everybody was very creeped out by him. And they all call him the dirt farmer Mm -hmm. because he just didn't plant anything. And he just has dirt written on the side of his barn in big letters and spray spray painted letters. Yeah. And we established (laughs) that Phoebe doesn't have a lot of friends. That she didn't have friends in wherever they were before. Yeah. Her mom is encouraging her to be more social and put herself out there. And I love the line where she's like, hey, maybe we'll make some friends this summer. And she goes, make them out of what? It's very self-aware of Phoebe to make that good joke. It really is. Yeah. Because she like kind of embraces the fact that she's like a mad scientist. And she kind of like, she gets it that other kids don't get her. Yes. Yeah. But she's also trying. Trevor says, how are the jokes coming along? Like, she's trying to fit in and be Why funny. Why can't you trust Adams? Because they make up everything. The jokes are terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cute. It really is. And it's a credit to McKenna Grace because the delivery of these jokes is amazing. She does a really good job. Yeah. And so I didn't know she was going to be the main character of the movie going in. But after we meet the family mm-hmm. and then we follow her into her first day of summer school, Phoebe is going to summer school. Yes. And Callie takes her there and drops her off in the morning. She apparently is going to summer school electively because she likes learning. Yeah. Oh, uh, she also found the PKE meter when they first arrived at the, at the farmhouse and she started getting the hint of what it, not like what it is, because she doesn't know what Ghostbusters is. She doesn't know what ghosts, she doesn't believe in ghosts. Um, she knows something's weird about it. And then the thing with the chessboard happens. Something knocks the chessboard off of uh, a dresser in the room she's using and uh, she sets it back up. And then in that morning, the next morning, one of the pieces has moved. Mm-hmm. So she moves one of her. The other pieces and then goes to school at summer school we meet paul rudd well callie meets him yeah. as she's dropping phoebe off and she assumes he's another parent she's like can you imagine who they've got teaching summer school and he's like oh i'm not a parent i'm the teacher yeah this is a sweet gig i get to do whatever i want and she's like oh good That's for you cool. yeah <laughs> Yes, and his name is is Mr. Gruberson. And he puts on Cujo, and Phoebe is not satisfied to sit and watch Cujo. And so she gets up, and she goes... She starts looking around. Oh, no, she meets Podcast. Yes. Podcast just kind of, like, slides into her DMs in the middle of his podcast. (laughs) 
They're sitting next to each other yeah. at a table. They're not really engaged in Cujo. And Podcast starts talking about her like she can't hear him yeah. into his microphone. And she's like, excuse me? <laughs> and he introduces himself and she introduces herself. And all right. Yeah. Successful connection with a human, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It goes great. And she's like, why do they call you podcast? He goes, no, I call myself podcast because my podcast. Podcast is adorable. He really is. And that's another great point in the movie. Because first of all, we get Phoebe, who's a great main character. McKenna Grace is doing a great job. And then we get this kid podcast. Logan Kim plays him. And it's such an, it's a character that you hear about or read on paper. And you're like, oh, that's going to be annoying. But no. He's not annoying he at all. He is great. And it, it's fantastic. I think if you are annoyed by podcast, the character, then you are annoyed by the word podcast itself. Yes. And that seems like a personal problem. Yes. And in not... which case, what the hell are you doing here? How dare you, <laughs> frankly? Thank you. Oh, they have the earthquake. And then she goes into his office because no adult came out to check on them during an earthquake. Yes. And she's like... He's checking his seismograph while the earthquake is happening. It's more important. Right. And she's like, hey, what's up with that earthquake? And he's like, what do you know about earthquakes? And she's like, I know a lot, actually. And this is when I start to notice that Phoebe's the main character of the movie. Mm-hmm. That, and I'm... And I love it. You're thrilled. I felt the change, like not a change because you were already like having a good time, but like, oh, she's uncovering the mystery of the whole movie. Yeah. And you like lit up. (laughs) (laughs) Did I? You did. Yeah. Yeah. When I found out it was her movie, I was like, okay, I'm ready. (laughs) I'm ready for nerdy little girl to have an adventure. Yeah. Um, And so that's when she has the conversation with Mr. Gruberson. And he says, why are we having all these earthquakes? It's so weird. Yeah. And also, they're different from every other type of earthquake. Yeah. And she says, uh, did you did you find out the source? He's like, no, I've been trying to triangulate it, but I can't get a fix on it. And she goes, did you <laughs> did you use three of your sensors? He goes, yes. I know how many sides there are in a triangle. She goes, I thought you were just being obtuse. And then winks. And he goes, was that a, was that a geometry joke? And she goes, yes, that's why I winked. <laughs> Nailed it. (laughs) Nailed it. It's so dry. It really is. It's perfect. That To me, that is Ghostbusters humor. It really is. Right there. Yeah. Just dry, scientific, uh, like a little full of herself. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's great. Then after school. Then after school, she's hanging out with podcasts. Oh, no. We see Trevor at work, too. We get, we get Trevor's little B-plot where he's working at Spinner's, the burger joint, and they're... The pretty girl's kind of nice to him. She, yes. But they're hazing nice, him a little bit. They're hazing him a little bit, which, again, this is yet another way that the movie could have fucked up, because they're hazing him at work, and they could have gone the route of having 80s bullies at this location, which there are two they start off with in the first scene where they show Spinner's. They're not being bullies. They're just kind of like being obnoxious. Um, yeah, cooks. Yeah, and they're Which teenagers. Who exist? Yeah, they just exist, and they kind of make fun of Trevor a little bit for flirting with Lucky or trying to and failing. Yeah, and uh, but they're just giving him a hard time. Nobody's being mean to him. They're just giving him a hard time, and they're hazing him a little bit at work, and they're being normal about it. It's not anything bad. They're like, oh yeah, go do inventory. You have to count every individual frozen patty of meat. <laughs> Sit in the freezer while you do it. Like, and nobody, like, locks him in the freezer. He's just sitting there with the door open, and he's, like, uncomfortable. Yeah. That's it. That's fine. And they're all kind of, like, chuckling about it. 
and he kind of like catches on. That's it. And it's it's normal and it feels real. Yes, exactly. And Lucky comes in and like, here, you should wear my hoodie. And he's like, oh, no, I'm fine. She's like, no, it's very masculine. It has a wolf on it. And he's like, oh, I'm surprised it fits me. And she's like, yeah, it's because of my boyfriend's. Oh. <laughs> and he takes it off. Um, yeah. So, like, light hazing, but also she's kind of flirting with him a little bit, too. Yeah. Adorable. And then we move on. Phoebe and Podcast are walking around town after school, and Podcast is talking about how many dead people there are in Somerville. And <laughs> he starts talking about, like, some spooky stuff. And Wait, first, though. He says, here, wait, I gotta do a sound check. Uh, tell me a joke. What do you call a dead polar bear? Anything you want. It can't hear you now. <laughs> and the joke really lands. Podcast likes a joke. Yes, he likes her joke. And she's like, pretty hilarious joke. <laughs> it's so cute. It really These is. These kids are adorable. And the movie is just delightful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so podcast is like spouting off, uh, his conspiracy theories about the town. He says the Illuminati run the movie theater. Yeah. And then the hardware store is run by lizard people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And Phoebe says, I don't believe in ghosts. He's like, you don't, you don't believe in spirit? All the evidence. <laughs> it's so cute. He's, he's the Ray. And I said this to you, like, when we first watched this movie, I leaned over to you and I'm like, this feels like exactly how Ray and Egon met. Like, exactly it really does. this way. Egon was just thinking about science, and Ray just kind of rolled up and was like, hey, do you want to hear about the Illuminati? <laughs> <laughs> and Egon was like, I suppose. Very plausible. Yeah. And so he takes Phoebe to the mine, the Evo Shandor mine. Yeah. That has been closed down for a long time, and yes. it was closed down, he tells us, because miners started flinging themselves down a pit. Yes, and they called it the Shandarian Curse. Yes. As, he's, as he puts it, as he slides creepily behind a sheet. <laughs> One thing I like about the character of Podcast is that he's so knowledgeable and he contributes so much to the movie. Yeah, and he's not right about everything, but like he clearly has a real passion for this stuff and he does know important things that end up being important later. He just feels like a whole character, not yeah. like someone that was written to fit into this. Yeah, I, I point out that he's wrong about stuff too because it's not like, oh, he just happens to know all the exact information they need. Like, no, right. he says a bunch of random shit that's not correct at all. Right, because he's 12. Right, exactly, and he just reads online. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so then Phoebe goes home and the chess board has moved again. Yep. Another piece. And so she moves a piece again. And then in front of her, a piece moves and knocks her piece off the board. Yes. Yeah. So she gets a little freaked out. And then the PKE meter that's in her bedroom starts lighting up. And she goes and picks it up, and the ghost that's activating the PKE meter is obviously Egon. It, like, leads her around the house. It opens doors, it lights up lights, mm -hmm. and she follows it downstairs, and it shows her where the, the puzzle, puzzle in, the floor is. in the floor is. Yeah. And Callie is passed out drunk on the dining room table. Yeah, that's pretty unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like she's, like, Phoebe's not plussed by this, though, so. Yeah, it's fine. This happens a lot. So, I'm gonna do a puzzle on the floor while Mom's... Having her happy time. Uh, sleepy time. Yeah, sleepy time. So Phoebe unlocks the floor puzzle and pulls out the ghost trap. Yeah. Cool. And she takes it to school the next day. Yes. 
podcast is trying to open it with a ruler, and it shatters hilariously. Yeah. Um, and then Mr. Gruberson sees it, and he's like, whoa, cool replica. And then they're like, of what? He's like, a ghost trap? And then he talks to them about how Ghostbusters happened in the ni- in the, the 80s. Yes. And uh, they're like, well, that was like 20 years before we were born. We don't know about this. And then he also takes an opportunity to very slickly ask if she has a dad. <laughs> yeah. Because um, he met Callie, and he clearly likes her and she's like now it's just my mom and he's like cool and podcast like, is like how is that cool that she doesn't have a dad <laughs> yeah it's some very nice background it acting. really is yeah like cool <laughs> and so responsible mr gruberson sees like a puff of something come out of the trap yeah and he's like oh this is real this is real and and phoebe says possibly and podcast goes absolutely <laughs> And so he's like, uh... Should we open it? Yeah. And then Mr. Gruberson's like, should we? So they go outside. They set up the trap uh, on top of his Toyota Corolla. Yeah, because the pedal doesn't work because the battery's dead. And they hook it up to the car battery of the school bus. Yeah. Yeah. They hook it up to the battery of the school bus to charge it. And podcast starts the bus. And uh, Paul Red steps on the pedal, and nothing happens. And he cautiously goes over and taps the top of the trap, and it explodes. Explodes in his face. And it shoots off towards the mine. Yeah. Phoebe screams. The bus it's, explodes all the windows. It's terrifying. It's like a really scary moment. This is when the movie like stops being cute and starts being like, ghosts are scary and real. Exa- and that is also very Ghostbusters. Yeah. Because ghosts are serious business in the first two, literally. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, no, they're serious business. It's Those a ter- legitimate threat. Yeah, terror dogs are scary as hell. So it zooms off back to the mountain where it came from. Yeah. Yeah. And then Mr. Gruberson's like, we should get out of here. And Phoebe's like, you're an adult. He goes, yeah, and liable. <laughs> So he drives them back to her house, and he's like, yeah, I've kind of always wanted to see what's inside this weird house. Yeah. And Callie's like, well, I don't have any food, but uh, how about we have a tour of the house? Yeah. And so she starts showing Mr. Gruberson around, and then Podcast and Phoebe are looking at... uh... They're just chilling in her room reading some weird, creepy books. I think it's Tobin's Spirit Guide, actually. I haven't been able to catch the title. It's too blurry, but I'm pretty sure it's Tobin's Spirit Guide. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, they're looking through it and they find the entry on the terror dogs. They're like, hey, that's the thing that came out of the trap. And then they read the entry on the terror dogs and Gozer. And, uh, we get our first hint. I mean, we know, of course, because we know what a terror dog is. But, uh, we get our first hint that Gozer's involved. And, uh... Not Gozer. Yeah, that jerk. I thought we were done with him. (laughs) And then, uh, we go back to, uh, Trevor at work. And he's like... So they're done hazing Trevor at work. Yeah. And they're like, come up to the mountain with us, hang out. And he's like, okay, cool. And then they ride up in the back of uh, one of the guys' El Camino. Yeah, there's two cars going up there. It's very, it's very nice and real. Just a bunch of kids going to blow off steam after a day of work at a shitty burger joint. Yeah. And it seems beautiful. Yeah. Actually, the sun is setting over some plateaus, mountains, whatever they have in Oklahoma. I've never been there. It's a mixture. They have planes and they have some mountains and cliffs. And he's sitting in this shifty mine elevator with Lucky. Yeah. And talking about why he came to this town. And they're like connecting a little bit. They're talking about Somerville and she says, what does it say about me if I never leave here? And he's like, uh, that you don't have a car. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny. It lands. Yeah, it does. And then something starts rumbling and she jumps out and she's like, get out. And he gets out. (laughs) 
they look down and they see smoke and lightning down there and then they hear something go Gozer. Yes. And then Kablooey! Something shoots up out of the mine. Yeah. Yeah. And it scares all the kids. And then they kind of start laughing like when something scary happens. And you're young and nobody's hurt. And then you go like (laughs) We're fine. Yeah. Yes, we're fine. That was weird. It was weird. So we cut back to the farmhouse and Mr. Gruberson and Callie are in the kitchen looking at some stuff. And uh, he finds a map that's written in cuneiform, but it's a map of Somerville, which doesn't make any sense because, as he tells it, Somerville is less than 100 years old and cuneiform is thousands of years old. And she's like, oh, that's weird. And he's like, don't you find this fascinating? And she's like, no. No, she's just not interested. (laughs) She just doesn't like anything to do with science or weird things. Or history. Or history. I don't know what she does like. Whiskey. That's not much of a personality. Phoebe is outside with the PKE meter following it around, and it leads her to the shed out back, which leads her to the secret basement laboratory. Entrance by fire pole. Yes. And so in the secret basement, it's a lab. Yeah. And Egon, well, the ghost of Egon, shows her around and shows her where the proton pack is and shows her how to repair it. Yeah. And she is blown away by all of this cool stuff in the secret basement. Yeah, and she also finds some uh, some weird flight suits with some kind of logo on the side. I don't know. I don't know. Something weird. <laughs> and then she goes to her bedroom later, and yeah. she watches an old Ghostbusters commercial on YouTube. on YouTube. Yeah. And it's the one from the first movie. It is. And she writes down the phone number. Yeah. And then, then Callie comes in, and uh, Phoebe slaps the laptop closed real quick, and she's like, what are you doing? And she goes, experiments. <laughs> And then Callie goes, ugh, lame. <laughs> and uh, she tries to ask her mom, like, what kind of scientist was grandpa? And she's like, the kind that repels loved ones. Like, she's just shutting her down completely. She does not want to tell her anything about Egon. No. And um, they end on a fine note, because she's, that's when they're talking about, oh, I'm going out to dinner with Gary tomorrow, so I just want you to know ahead of time. So the next morning, Trevor is out exploring the property, which has a bunch of empty cars behind the house. Yeah. And he goes into the barn yeah and he finds the ecto yeah he finds ecto one underneath a tarp trevor has been established to be good with cars yes during the montage of them driving out to oklahoma he's like fixing the car which has broken down on the side of the road all of his t-shirts are like different car things yes and like it's very well established that he likes cars so he starts fixing up ecto one and uh he starts making headway on that while he's doing that we cut to Phoebe and podcast out at what podcast calls Rust City. I don't know if it is a weekend or they just decided to do this instead of going to school that day. I would say because Gary and Callie are on a date, it's probably a weekend. Okay. Oh, it is a weekend because they say it later when they're talking about uh, joyriding. Oh, okay. Podcast is a great buddy. He's like, you found this cool weapon. I'm going to set up some bottles (laughs) for you. I'm going to take you to this great spot where you can try out a weapon in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Not going to be a problem. It's good to know a local. He's like, welcome to Rust City. And she goes, oh, is this where they refined all the raw selenium from the mines? And he goes, uh, yeah. <laughs> Which, that's another thing. Uh, they established that the selenium girders that were used to make the apartment building in the first Ghostbusters were mined and refined in Somerville. Yes, they were. Yeah. And it's, a, it's an electroconductor. Answered that question from 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, podcast has his microphone ready. He's narrating the first test run of the proton pack. Phoebe's, Fire it up. Phoebe's got her gun out. Oh, she says, switch me on. 
And this is a great reveal, Ghostbusters-wise, is podcast reaches over and flips a previously non-existent but now visible switch yes. in the top like left corner. For, for context for our, our listeners who don't care, in the first Ghostbusters movie, uh, the scene in the elevator at the Sedgwick Hotel on their first Ghostbusters, uh, Ray Stance says, all right, let's get ready, switch me on. And Egon reaches over and hits some switch on the proton pack and fires it up. And it's a great joke because they all like move away from him as the sound gets louder and louder. Yeah. Uh, great joke. But there's no switch there. As somebody who has poured over blueprints and images of proton packs, it's well known in the Ghostbusters community that there's no switch there. So this is how we know Jason Reitman is one of us because he added a switch to the proton pack in the location where Egon's hand went to in the first movie yes. to turn on the proton pack. Yeah. So there's now a switch there. It's a thing. Thanks, Jason Reitman. We very <laughs> much appreciate all you've done. It's really a perfect marriage of the first movie and this movie. It is. And it's also a nice nod to us, the fans, as people who like to build props of what's in these movies because it's not even done as like a hey guys look like it's done in service of the moment of the movie because like he reaches over and switches it on and then we pan down and the cyclotron fires up and the power cell starts lighting up and you hear that the big sound comes on and it's just as effective as in the first movie yeah it's funnier in the first movie because that's a great joke <laughs> yeah but here, like, it's a big deal. This is a tiny little girl wearing a huge proton pack. Oh my god, her putting on that pack is so adorable and yeah. funny. But yes, the joke in this first movie is is a better joke. It's, yes. It's much funnier and drier. Just that straight shot of the three of them. And yeah. then just start pressing yeah. against the other wall. And Ray's like, why are you guys moving away? This isn't really a joke scene. This no, is it a isn't. pretty serious scene. Yeah. I mean... Then it becomes a funny scene because she unloads the proton pack on those bottles. And annihilates <laughs> the bottles and what they were standing on and just completely disintegrates it. And she's like, huh, did I get it? <laughs> He's like, it doesn't exist anymore. It's cool. And then podcast is like, let me shoot it. Give me the gun. Give me the gun. And then they hear something yeah. in the building behind them. So they go to check then it Phoebe's out. And Phoebe's like immediately, hey, like, let's go check it out. And then marches off with her proton gun in front of her, like all of us did when we were children. <laughs> and then this is some more Ghostbusters stuff, where, mm -hmm. like, we're in a creepy building, there's low camera angles, it's a little smoky, very mm -hmm. dimly lit, mm -hmm. and they're walking through this building and looking for whatever made that crazy noise, and then they find it, and it's a ghost. Yeah. It's a big ghost chomping on metal. Muncher. His name is Muncher. And... And to try to communicate with it, Podcast blows the Aztec death whistle that he found in Phoebe's house the day before. And Muncher does not like it. No, he does not like he it. he spits basically bullets at them because he's been chewing metal and then he spits it out and he like fires a bunch of bullets at these children. And then Phoebe fires back. Yeah, she just fires at him with a proton gun and she gets him on the second shot. Yeah. And she's like, trap him! And Podcast tries to throw the trap out. And it but tips it over. <laughs> Which happens! It, it does. And he starts pulling it back with a cord and everything. It's great. Uh, but then Muncher breaks free of the proton stream and out the window and he's gone. Yes. Um, and so then we cut to Trevor again. And he has seemingly finished Ecto-1 reworking. And he gets in and tries to start it up and it's not working. He's like, come on, darling. And then we cut to Under the Hood. 
and this little tiny thing of wire that wasn't quite connected twists itself and pushes itself back in yep. and then the car fires up and he's like yeah and then this hood slams shut and shows him the field out beyond the car the car and he's like well don't mind if i do and then he starts wheat drifting ecto-1 and it's delightful it really really is yeah it's very fun and cool I don't know if it comes off as fan servicey, but it was very gratifying to fans. Let me ask you a question. Yes. As somebody who, before we were together, was kind of a casual appreciator of Ghostbusters. Yes, I've you since graduated. Saw yeah. You saw the movies, you liked them, you remember them, you thought they were funny. Yes. Is it fan servicey, or do you just like Ecto-1 because it's a cool-looking car, and it's fun to watch a giant car sliding around a wheat field in fun ways, and watching this kid drive it because it's fun? I think that... That's a fun scene yeah. to have in any kind of movie, like a kid who's young and trying to find his way in the world and discovering himself and his life, and then he finds this cool old car and he gets it to work, and, well, a secret ghost helped him. Yeah. That's just, like, a nice, cute scene, and then he does some cool car stunts, and I love car stunts. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, uh, it's just a good scene. You could do a whole movie about just this kid who moves to a new town and meets some girl at the burger shop that he gets a job at and makes some friends there who haze him a little bit at first, but then he finds this old car and fixes it up and becomes the cool guy, and she likes him. Like, that's a movie plot. It's called an indie movie. Right. The f story with Phoebe. This girl who doesn't have any friends, who's really good at science, moves to this town, and her teacher is really cool and nice and encourages her her weirdness and learning and it's stuff called like Matilda. that. Matilda. No. <laughs> she has this weird friend who is also kind of a weirdo, but likes her weirdness. It's an indie movie. Yeah. They're just stories movie. about people, and this one happens to be about Ghostbusters. This movie has three indie movies in it, and it's also a Ghostbusters movie. Yeah. Because it's got the indie movie with Phoebe and Podcast, the indie movie with Trevor and Lucky in the car, and then we got Callie and Mr. Gruberson and her kids. Like, those are three different indie movie plots. They're all interwoven together, and it works perfectly, and there's also a Ghostbusters movie in there. Yes. And it's delightful. Yes, I agree. And so Trevor's drifting around on the wheat fields, and he finally gets to the road. He launches himself out of the field onto the road, and it's amazing. And then once he's on the road, he sees Phoebe, he and, sees podcast. Phoebe and podcast and he pulls up and she's like, oh, this is a podcast. He's, he's my friend. He's my friend. He goes, you have a friend? She goes, you have a car? And he goes, yeah, it's a Cadillac. And podcast says, we need a ride. Take us into town because he's dead set on catching Munger. So they get into the Ecto and they hightail it towards town. And Trevor's like, what am I looking for? And podcast is like, anything suspicious. <laughs> and then we, the audience, see... Uh, there's bites taken out of a lot of different stuff. Oh, there's a the... dumpster with big bites and yeah. ectoplasm all over it. Yeah. Oh, they they hear on the police scanner that something took a bite out of somebody's truck and nearly ripped the whole the whole bumper off. And they're like Muncher, Muncher. So that's how he gets his name, Muncher. Yeah. And in town, they're slowly going down the main street. All of a sudden, they spot him straight ahead. And Trevor's in a fire hydrant. And Trevor's like, "Oh my god, I can't believe it!" And Phoebe's like, "We gotta get him!" And there's a lever next to her seat. Podcast leans forward to use the ecto goggles to take a, a a photo of Muncher, and he hits the switch by mistake. And she's like, "What?" And then the seat just like jolts out the side of the car all of a sudden. It's a gunner seat! Surprise! <laughs> She yeah. didn't know that she picked the best seat. Did it have its own proton pack attached to yes. the gunner seat? It has a proton pack uh, mounted and wired directly into the car. 
And so from hanging out the side of the car, Phoebe is trying to shoot Munger and Podcast is going to try to trap him with a remote control trap on wheels. Yes. Uh, it's a great car chase. It's a they great car chase. follow Muncher all through town. Phoebe's shooting the place up. These are some of the best images from the trailer. <laughs> yeah, they're like bat turning around corners and screeching tires. It's fun and exciting. And McKenna Grace is hanging out at the side of the car in some of those shots. In some of them, yeah. Yeah. It's it's great. When we first saw the movie, I was like, I had images of like hereditary flashing through my mind. <laughs> I was like, oh god, I hope he doesn't hereditary her. No. So they chase Muncher out of town and they get on this long stretch of road heading towards the mine and they finally get him with the proton stream and they got their shit together and Podcast gets the trap underneath him and Phoebe gets him in position and Trevor's keeping up with him and they trap him. And then they do another handbrake stop turn, like TJ Hooker with the Ecto. And they all jump out and high five. Yeah. And then Trevor's like, hey, wait a minute. I was here last night. Weird stuff happened. Uh, and then as they're heading back to town, they get pulled over because they just drove this very, very conspicuous car through town <laughs> at high speed, blowing things up. And they get pulled over and... Taken to jail. The children get taken to jail. <laughs> uh, and then Trevor catches them up to speed on what happened at the mine. And turns out Lucky's in the cell next to him. And she confirms that everything that he says happened because she was there and she saw it. So now she's involved. She's a part of this. Yeah. Messes with him a little bit, acting like he's gonna try, she's going to try to get him to hold drugs or something. Uh, but turns out her dad's the sheriff. She's just hanging out. She's not a prisoner. Nope. She's just hanging out in one of the cells for fun. Waiting for a ride. Yep. Her yeah. dad's the sheriff. And Phoebe asks for a phone call. Yes. And then the sheriff says, who are you going to call? Because I... I dare anyone to search their heart and think of a situation in which a cop arrests somebody driving a Ghostbusters vehicle and does not say that to them. <laughs> I fucking dare you to look me in the eyes and say that to me. And if you do, I will laugh at you because you're wrong. It's true. Police generally like Ghostbusters a lot. They... Firemen love us. Yes. Yes. Wherever we go, people in uniform generally like Ghostbusters, too. But anyway, while they've been tearing around town in the Ecto, Gary and Callie went on their date, got to know each other a little bit, and uh, now they've shown up at the police station at the tail end of their date. Well, Phoebe calls Ray. Oh, yeah. Phoebe uses her phone call to call Ray. Yeah, she calls the number from the commercial. She had it written down, and she calls and Ray's a cult, and Ray is like, I don't want to hear about Egon Spangler. And Phoebe's very sad, and she tells him that he died last week. And Ray's very sad to hear that. And yeah. he's like, well, you know, things ended badly with Egon. He kind of went crazy and left town and stole all our stuff and ripped us off. And we lost a lot of money. I imagine him and Ray probably had a confrontation about it, and then Egon just stole all their stuff and left. Yeah, and then Phoebe says, Egon Spangler was my grandfather, and then the police guy sheriff the sheriff hangs up the phone yeah and ray's just there dumbfounded yeah so phoebe and trevor get in trouble with their mom she's like how could you do all this and she's like go home now and phoebe's like what about my stuff and the (laughs) cops are like it's staying here and phoebe's like oh no you're not and she picks up the proton gun in a very unhinged move yeah and points it at the sheriff and kelly gets in front of her and she like takes the gun from her she's like she's just kidding she's just a child please don't don't shoot her don't put her back in jail please and she's just an upset little kid and i really like that because 
Egon also has a bad temper. He does. <laughs> People forget that about him. He he has a bad temper. He physically assaulted Walter Peck outside the firehouse when yeah. he, he said it was their fault that the thing exploded. Yeah. Your mother! <laughs> so, unhinged Phoebe um, has to go home. She's in trouble. Trevor's also kind of in trouble. So, Gary says, this was a really nice date. Um, I'd like to do it again sometime. And Kelly's like, you've got to be joking. And Gary's like, no, I had a nice time. And so, that's nice. And then a great note, and she kisses him on the cheek. And he's feeling pretty good about himself. Uh, so then, he, uh, post-date, heads to Walmart, as one does. And, uh, he's just vibing himself, doing his, like, yeah, that date was successful. Strut. Gonna get some ice cream. Getting some ice cream. Chamoka. Then heads over to the, the toppings aisle. Gets some blue velvet. Not red. And then, uh, what happens, Jackie? Well, there's a bunch of marshmallows in the toppings aisle. Interesting. Any particular brand of marshmallows? There's Stay Puffed marshmallows. Ah, the best marshmallows on the market. And then there's a little rustle, and he looks over, and a little tiny Stay Puffed marshmallow man is peeking out of the bag of shamos. And he... He face plants. He face plants on the shelf and he stands up and he's got these little diamonds in his marshmallow tummy from the shelf and it's so cute. And then all of a sudden... It bites Gary's finger. Yeah. pokes him. And then there's like 10 of them, then there's 20, then there's 50. They're riding around in a Roomba all of a sudden. It escalates real quick. Yeah. Um, they're very comically suicidal. They're walking on top of grills. And homicidal. They're killing each other and themselves. It's adorable and hilarious and a little creepy. Yeah, they're like, it's, it really does have like some gremlins or ghoulies vibes going on with these guys. I think if I were a child, I would be creeped out by it. But as an adult, I'm delighted by it. Kids love them too, so. Good. Yeah. They're very cute. They really are. And then Gary's walking around and he hears <laughs> something in the empty Walmart and he looks and there is a giant bag of Purina dog chow with a giant dog, nope, giant terror dog, eating the dog chow with this whole head in the bag. And it's an amazing looking terror dog. It's yeah. not CGI. Nope. It's a practical it's a practical puppet effect and it looks amazing. It looks so good. It ju- it's just like the original. And yeah. It's, which still holds up, so still great. Yeah. <laughs> and Gary throws the ice cream at him and it bonks. Well, he, he tries to calm him down for he's like, Hey, buddy. And then it roars at him, and then he screams and chucks the ice cream, and... He bonks the terror dog on the head with the ice cream and just takes off running. And I love that shot where he's running through the Walmart, and the dog is, like, behind him, like, throwing all the stuff left and right. Just uh, wreckage. Yeah, and just exploding as it's plowing through everything. It looks so good. Yeah. Um, and then he gets outside, because it slips and falls, and he, he manages to get outside... He's going for his car, and then the terror dog explodes out the front window doors, and then he dives through the broken windshield of his car and, it was, and tries to get away. But terror dog jumps on the hood and sits there, just like Cujo, and then it gets him. Yeah. And this, I like that they did this little detail, too, because in the movie, he, he shows the kids Cujo, and then he shows them child's play. And the dog and the little mini Stay Puffs are kind of like Cujo and child's play, so he's he's getting his uh, comeuppance, I guess. <laughs> I guess. That's so funny, is it, Gary? <laughs> Next day, Phoebe and Podcast and Trevor and Lucky, because they're all in on this now, uh, are at Spinners, and they set up a table, and they got the map of Somerville and the mine all splayed out. They're going to figure this out. Yeah. Phoebe's like, all right, do you see the concentric circles around the mine? 
And Trevor goes, no. And she goes, do you see the circles? And he goes, yes. <laughs> and it's a great line. Um, so basically, they all combine their information. Trevor says, I saw this. I heard the name Gozer. And podcast is like, Gozer? I did some digging on Gozer. Here's some information about Gozer. And then Lucky says, Evo Shandor, uh, his name's on all the buildings in this town. He owns the mine. He built, like, everything in this town. And then Phoebe says, this makes sense. Grandpa had a plan. So they all finally pool their information, and now they're on the trail of the mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this part in a movie. Yeah. And then they're like, well, there's only one way to find out what's going on in that mine. Get in that dangerous mine elevator and go down <laughs> inside of it. Brilliant. So they get in a dangerous mine elevator and they go down to the mine. There's a pit of lost souls with four proton packs aimed at the center of it. Yeah, it's got, he's, he's got it has like... a proximity alarm attached to a PKE meter. So when the wings on the PKE go up, it triggers the proton packs to go on to keep the... They cross the streams and fire that beam down into the pit to push it back down. Yes. It keeps the pit of souls at bay. Yeah. I assume that's the pit that the miners are throwing themselves down? Yes. And that's what's causing the earthquakes. Every time the spirit level in the pit rises to come up, because they find a bunch of dates, like a bunch of years written in the walls of this Gozerian temple down inside the mine, and 2021 is the... The, ne- the date of the next cross-rip that's going to happen, when Gozer's arrival can happen. Mm-hmm. So it keeps trying to happen, and Egon has rigged up these proton packs to cross the streams and push it back down. But it's clearly only a stopgap, because his main plan was to capture Gozer and finish what the original Ghostbusters started in 1984. So he just was trying to keep Gozer from rising until he could get ready to do his plan. In this mine, there is a glass coffin with the corpse of Evo Shandor in it. Yep. Cool. And then as the as the ghosts start to rise, he like opens his eyes and like turns and looks at podcast. So he's not completely dead. <laughs> the corpse is moving. Yeah. Very creepy. Yeah. And it's J.K. Simmons. Because mm-hmm. of course it is. So that's how they figure out the rest of the, what's going on. Gozer's coming. Egon had a plan. He set up this thing to keep them from rising and that's what's causing the earthquakes. And we got to figure out a solution to this. So they're going to go home and tell mom. Meanwhile, Callie finds the PKE meter. Well, it, like, it goes off while she's alone. It, like, alerts her to its presence. Yeah. And she, Egon, like, shows her where his secret lab is. And she's like, yeah, this is great. And then he shows her that he had pictures of her. And he had a lot of photos of her. And he actually missed her. And he stayed away for her own safety. Yeah. And it's very emotional for her. Yeah. And he just he probably just wasn't fit to be a parent and he probably knew that. But also maybe he didn't realize how much he actually did care because he's he's a guy who's very not self aware of what he's capable of in terms of like being a human being. Mm-hmm. He's a lot funnier and he has a lot more um, like emotionality than he thinks he does. He thinks he's very Mr. Spock, but he's Mr. Spock in the new movies. And, and you see that, because in the picture wall he's got, he's like got little notes like, oh, this picture made my pulse rate go up a little bit. <laughs> he's like scientifically measuring the love he feels for his daughter. Yeah. It's very... Egon. Yeah, and then she sees it, and she starts to cry a little bit, but we don't have time for that, because... She gets attacked by a terror dog. Yeah. So there's always two. So, um, the kids come home, and their mom is Zool now. Bummer. Yeah. 
and she jumps out the window and runs to go meet Vince Clortho. Yeah, because the mountain is now exploding because, meanwhile, Gary Gruberson as Vince Clortho has sabotaged the proton pack rig at the mountain. And so now the well's bubbling over and here comes fucking Gozer. Whether you're ready or not. Yep. Keymaster and the Gatekeeper get together, quote unquote, formally, as they put it. And uh, that's what unleashes Gozer. Mm-hmm. So Gozer's here now. And the kids get a plan, they put on some jumpsuits, and they're ready to do the fight. Yeah, so they go to the police station, and all the cops are out because they're dealing with all the sudden flood of ghosts that have come into Somerville, and they're causing chaos everywhere. They're being overrun. Yeah, so the kids run into the police station, and they go to the impound area, and... Trevor and Lucky get the car out of the shop. And Phoebe and Podcast go into the evidence room, and Phoebe says something funny where she's like, Oh, just more guns. No, she says, <laughs> Your guns clattering to the she ground. There's a whole box of guns on the floor. It's Oklahoma. There's yep. a lot of firearms. Oh. And they find the equipment in a, a jail, jail within a jail. And so Podcast reaches in and sets Muncher free, and he chews himself out of the jail, yeah. and then they can access their stuff. Yeah. And they're like, we'll deal with that later. We have Gozer problems right now. Much bigger problem. So they got a plan, and they get in the Ecto, and they go to the mountain. They get down. Because their plan is, they established earlier, their plan is that Gozer needs both the Keymaster and the Gatekeeper. So if it, if it doesn't have them, it can't be there. Like, right. Their plan is to suck it up and take away its power. Trevor, Phoebe, and Podcast jump in the Ecto and go to the mountain, and Lucky gets in a police car and takes off in the other direction. They get to the mine, they pull up Ecto-1 on the outside of the mine, which has now morphed into a full-on Gozerian temple throne chamber, and Gozer is just chilling, and oh, and Gozer also rips Evo Shandor in half the yeah. long way, because <laughs> uh, there's only one throne. <laughs> uh, so she's just lounging on the chair. And Phoebe comes out and she's like, excuse me. Yeah, hi. (laughs) And she starts telling jokes to distract Gozer. And it's adorable. And it's effective because Gozer is like, there's an ant telling me jokes. (laughs) What is happening? This distraction run is so podcasts can position the remote control trap underneath Callie as a terror dog. Zool. A.K.A. Zool. Gozer's like, are you prepared to die. And Phoebe goes, no, I'm 12. Are you? And then they suck up Zool and it rips half of Gozer's essence out with it. It's awesome. They grab Callie because she turns back into a human and they grab Callie, throw her in the car, Trevor guns it and they take off and the and podcast is driving the RC trap after them. Yes. And then they do a running commentary like in Terminator to catch Callie up on what's happening. <laughs> And uh, Vince Clortho's chasing them down and trying to get the ghost trap to set Zool free. And Phoebe is on the gunner seat and she like leans out of the car and blasts him to get him off their trail. And then Callie's like, Phoebe, you're a... And Phoebe goes, I'm a scientist. It's great. She's a ghostbuster. She's a ghostbuster. We know what she actually was saying. Yeah. Um, so they're coming in hot and they smash through all the, the, the junk fences out front of the property. Mm-hmm. And they skid to a halt on the farm and they all hop out with the ghost trap. And uh, Trevor and Podcast stay in the car. Phoebe and Callie run up to the porch. And then uh, the, the swirling vortex of, of energy shifts from the mountain over the farmhouse. And Gozer's coming. She's, it's all like unstable and like it halfway looks amazing. there. It's so cool looking. 
Uh, it's stomping its way across the field just like uh, the terror dog ghost was before. Mm-hmm. And then Phoebe's got the ghost trap like held out in front of her, like, come and get it. Just like Egon did. Just like Egon did. And then uh, they fire up the capacitors, but they don't know that they failed last time. So they fail again this time. And then suddenly Lucky kicks open the door behind Phoebe and she's got the Spangler proton pack on. She blast goes her. And then Trevor busts out of the side of the car with the gunner seat and he goes to blast goes her too. But his proton stream doesn't work. And then it turns out that all the mini Stay Puffs have gotten into the car and they're ripping apart all the electronics. Gremlins. Gremlins. Destroying all the stuff. Yeah. And so Podcast is fighting with them in the car. (laughs) And uh, everything's going wrong. And then Gozer wraps its arm around the proton stream and rips Lucky off the porch and knocks her her down and rips the proton pack off her back. The trap gets dropped and it's all bad. And then Gozer gets the trap and rips it in half and Zool comes out and goes into Lucky instead. So now there's two terror dogs again. Gozer is brought back to its full its full power. Not looking good. No. And then, just as Gozer is about to force lightning them to death, the original Ghostbusters show up. And Peter distracts Gozer for a bit with talking and pisses it off. And it clearly remembers them because it asks, are you a god? And Ray almost says no again. (laughs) But then they're like, yes, we're all all gods. (laughs) Get out of here. So the original Ghostbusters are here now. And they blast Gozer and cross the streams and it's working for a minute, but then Gozer is able to withstand it because there's only three proton streams. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it actually rips the streams apart and uncrosses them and then whips the Ghostbusters back and they get smashed into the car. And you're like, oh no, they're so old. Please don't do that. <laughs> they are very old. Yeah. And then Gozer is stalking towards him, getting ready to kill him. Then, blammo! Phoebe's got the proton pack on now and she blasts Gozer from behind. And Gozer goes to force lightning Phoebe, and Phoebe blasts the force lightning with her pack. And it's the force of, of Gozer's power is too strong, and it's just pushing Phoebe backwards. But then a ghost hand comes out and steadies her. And it's Egon as a ghost. He's fully appeared now because there's so much PKE energy. He can fully appear visually now. And he steadies her. And they like look at each other. And then while that's happening, the other Ghostbusters have gotten up and they fire their streams. Gozer's getting hit from both ends, and they work their way around, and they're all standing in a line. And it's the four original Ghostbusters, and Phoebe's also there. And they're blasting Gozer, and they cross the streams, and Gozer can't resist that ability. And then finally, Podcast gets the PKE taser going, and he destroys all the Stay Puft guys inside the car, and gets the, the gunner seat pack working again. Yep. And Trevor goes to blast Gozer, but then he's like, wait, and he blasts the capacitor instead, which fires up all the traps that Egon buried in the ground that they found earlier because of the clue that was written, you know, dirt was written on the side of the barn. Yeah. Maybe that was a reminder for Egon for himself. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was crazy. Um, so the, the, the capacitor gets loaded up with all the energy, activates all the traps, and then Callie hits the pedal, and all the ghosts and Gozer get ripped apart and sucked into all the traps. Yeah. And it's amazing. And then Trevor runs over and... Tries to save Lucky from the, the, shell the fossilized the... <laughs> remains of the terror dog and accidentally saves Gary first and yeah. then goes and saves Lucky. Uh, Venkman says to Callie, it's nice to meet you. So the original Ghostbusters also have like a little moment with Ghost Egon uh, saying they miss him and they're sorry they didn't believe him. And then the Spengler family has their moment with Egon also. And then it's time for Egon to go now because... He has finished his business, and he fades into... Stardust. Stardust. And he goes up into the sky. Yeah. And then the movie says, for Harold. 
And then we get a shot of Ecto-1 driving across the Brooklyn Bridge back into New York City. Because... Classic. Winston's taking it home. Yeah. Maybe all of them did. I don't know. Maybe all of them piled in. It was great. And then the movie ends formally. There's a couple of post-credit scenes. Yeah. With uh, Sigourney Weaver and Bill Murray being adorable together. Just having a real nice time. Yeah. She's doing the psychic card testing and shocking him because he's admitting that he cheated and... uh, He's just using it to shock some dudes and flirt with some girls. And he's like, it's flawed science now. I, I see that now. <laughs> That's great. And then the final post credit scene, we're treated to uh, a deleted scene from the original Ghostbusters where Janine was bringing them the car for the big climax. And she gives Egon her lucky coin from the World's Fair in 1964. <laughs> it's my lucky coin. He says, I shouldn't take it. We might not be coming back. And she's like, take it anyway. I got another one at home. <laughs> and then it cuts to her in modern day. And she's like in a waiting area looking at it. And it turns out she's there at Winston's office because he's in finance now. And I think she's there applying for a job, maybe. No, she's just chatting with him. Oh, she's there to see him either way. Yeah. She's in his office and... And Winston's basically like, uh, yeah, we should have more Ghostbusters, actually. Yeah. I know I made enough money and now I'd like to... He's like, I do it I do it for my kids to be an example of what's possible. Dustin goes with the guy who's always taught me not to be afraid and I had the tools and the talent to succeed. It's delightful because Ernie Hudson has always been... He's always been very present in the Ghostbusters fan community. He does conventions. He hangs out with us. He wears his fucking flight suit. Yeah. At the table when he's signing autographs. It's like, awesome. Yeah. he And this, bef- like, some actors are doing that now at cons more often where they're, like, wearing the costumes or whatever. Yeah. He, he just was doing that. Somebody, like, made him a custom flight suit for himself. It's a nice, like, olive green one that he had made. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just wears it. Yeah. He's doing it back in the early 2000s. Yeah. He just was doing it because he just likes being part of Ghostbusters. Yeah. And I'm so happy that they like gave him that that ending part because it's it's a great development for Winston. Um, and then as he's saying all this stuff, we cut to the firehouse and he's walking in and looking around. Doors open. He waves in whoever's driving Ecto One. Um, they park the car and then we cut to the containment unit, and a problem light starts blinking <laughs> and the music swells and then it's over. Yes, the end. So that is our very long episode about Ghostbusters Afterlife. We didn't even talk about what we liked and what we didn't like yet. I think we did along the way. I didn't. I'm, I'm sorry that we went long on this one. Ghostbusters is so... I treasure Ghostbusters so much. It's just such a big deal to me. So uh, I apologize for being long-winded about it. Um... I can't help it, and for, for those of you who stuck around to listen to it, I, I very much appreciate it. So, what, what were your favorite parts? My favorite parts were, I, I really loved the new characters. That was one of the things I was concerned about when the trailer started dropping and everything, is I was worried that I wasn't going to like the characters, they weren't going to be, you know, they weren't going to feel like they fit in the universe. But uh, McKenna Grace did a fantastic job. She did. Logan Kim is hilarious, and he he does great work with a character that's so easy to make annoying. Yes. And it's he's not. He's a delight, and he's he's great to watch. He's very funny. Um, Finn Wolfhart. He doesn't get a lot of um, he doesn't get a lot of business in the movie. I know there's a longer cut of the movie that exists. Um, I'm sure a lot of his stuff 
ended up in that stuff that got cut. That's fine. He's not the main character. Mm -hmm. Phoebe's the main character. It's her story. I thought he did a great job supporting her. Yeah, the dynamic of Trevor and Phoebe also was really great to see. I wish we'd gotten a little more of it. I understand why we didn't make sense, but... Uh, it reminded me of me and my sister a lot. I really like it when siblings are non-adversarial yeah. in things. Yeah. I think one of my least favorite things about Jurassic World was how adversarial, like, those brothers were. Yeah. I know that was kind of part of what was happening in the movie, is, like, they started to get closer to one another, but they really started out, like, so far apart. And I know I didn't always get along great with all five of my siblings. <laughs> But generally... You guys were a team. Yes. We were a team. Yeah. And that's how it Sometimes is Sometimes we subdivided into other teams so we could play tournaments against each other. Yes. But it was in... never Game of Thrones. No. It was always Smash Bros. Yes. Everybody brawls, but then at the end of it, we're all still friendly Nintendo characters. Because <laughs> that's what your sisters and you are. You're all very crazy Nintendo characters. Thank you. You're Kirby. Thank you. I am Kirby. <laughs> So the characters were, again, another strong point. Yeah. I didn't think that it was going to be like, a, this person's the Venkman, and this person's the Egon, and this person's the Ray. But like a little bit it was. A little bit, but not like very, blatantly. In a very gentle way. They just yeah. like naturally, I mean, Jason Reitman, he wrote the script, right? Jason Reitman and Gil Keenan wrote the script. Okay. And so it's easy to see how they took attributes from the original four Ghostbusters and gave them to other people in the movie, since Phoebe was obviously going to be the Egon. Yeah. Because she's related to Egon. Yeah. And Trevor, like, it, it it's applicable, too, because Trevor is also a little bit Egon, because he's kind of a genius in that he, like, is able to fix up that car with no money and very little time. They're both pretty smart. Yeah, they're both very smart, but they applied it differently. Mm -hmm. And, uh... Well, I think that... I think that Gary is... The Lewis Tully, yes. but in a very effective and updated way. Yes. Also, we were talking about it a little bit, and we said that Lucky was kind of Winston because she's the, like the everyman or whatever, but Winston's kind of the Venkman if you think of, or sorry, but Lucky's kind of the Venkman if That's you think That's what I about said it. initially. Did you? Yeah. I don't think you said that to me. I did. You were the only person I said it to. Oh, I don't remember you saying that. But yeah, no, Lucky's kind of the Venkman because she's really cool and... She's kind of the one like, hey, what's up? <laughs> yeah. She can talk her way out of situations. She is very smooth and knowledgeable and has an easier time getting along with yeah. anyone she wants to get along with. Yeah. But also, she is kind of the Winston, too, because she is the every person. And uh... I think Trevor is the Winston because he a lot of his job is like support, utility. He's not a creative director of the Ghostbusters. <laughs> He's like, yes, I see the circles. I don't know what concentric <laughs> means. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And he, he's the driver. Yeah. Yeah. He's the muscle. Yes, he is the muscle. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that... But that's that's the cool thing, is that you, you can't pin them down to just one character. Like, if you really want to put them in a box, you can. But they all have their own personality and their own strengths. And it's great. It's a great new team. Yeah. A great dynamic. It is. And, uh, uh, yeah, again, characters. Great high point of the movie. Um, my other thing that I love about the movie is how fucking funny it is. Yeah, it's that really funny. Earlier when I said, like, oh, I was worried about the characters. Like, that wasn't the thing I was most worried about. I was most worried about the fact that it might not be funny. Because the trailers kind of painted it to be... It looked awesome. It looked fun. And it, it looked like Ghostbusters. 
but I was worried it wouldn't feel like Ghostbusters because it wasn't going to be funny. It looked a little serious. Well, I ran into a woman in the bathroom at Miller's Ale House while I was in my flight suit one night, and she was like, oh, are you excited about the new movie? And I was like, yeah, I am. She was like, it looks kind of serious, though, doesn't it? And... I turned around and I was like, well, there was some pretty serious stuff in the first movie, actually. The librarian. Um, dogs. <laughs> the librarian, the terror dogs. And she was like, oh, yeah, you're right. And then she was like, yeah, I'm going to go see it. I was like, okay, good. <laughs> won that one over. Um, but yeah, it was, it, was it was an extreme relief. Because the first time we were watching the movie, uh, the opening scene is very serious. And I'm like, Okay, that was very serious, but their opening scene of the original Ghostbusters was serious. Uh, let's hope the people are funny now. And then they cut to the family, and they start being funny in very dry, sarcastic ways. And I'm yes. like, okay, thank God. Here we are. Big relief. Here we are. Yeah. Um, so that was great. Uh, it was very, it wa and it was very funny. It doesn't try to be funny. It succeeds at being very funny. It was nice watching that B-roll footage and behind the scenes stuff where you can see Jason Reitman, like, watching McKenna Grace on the monitors and, like, laughing at the jokes that he wrote for her. Yeah. Like, that's perfect. That is successful filmmaking. Yeah. I, I don't want to do this movie versus 2016. We're not going to do that. No. I will say one thing. Go ahead. And the difference there is the difference in comedy style. People out there listening, feel however you want to about the 2016 movie. I don't care. It's fine. You can feel that way. What I'm saying is there are two very distinctive styles of comedy. Mm -hmm. And Ghostbusters is very dry, sarcastic, character-driven, smart dialogue. Yes. 2016 did those really long takes where people just say things and that it's funny. It was improvisational comedy. Improvisational comedy. And it's it's not, it's not, it doesn't feel like Ghostbusters and it's not succinct. It's not tight. It's not well-crafted. Maybe there are some few a few one-liners in there that are funny, but like, it doesn't, I can't think of it doesn't contribute to the proceedings. All the comedy in the movie contributes to the proceedings. And I, that was what I was very happy to see in Ghostbusters Afterlife. The obtuse triangle joke is in service of the film. <laughs> yes. Because they're talking about him triangulating the location of the source of the earthquakes. They are talking about the science of the plot and they are also showcasing Phoebe's personality. Yep. And it's so nice that she's, like, trying. Yeah. It, it's... She found her people. That's the thing. She finds her people. Podcast, Mr. Gruberson, they appreciate her as a person. Yeah. And she also seems to get along okay with Lucky, too. I mean, yeah, they don't... Yeah, because uh, Lucky kind of laughs at her joke on the elevator, too. Yeah. So, not for nothing, but the jokes seem to work. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good idea, Trevor. Thanks. Yeah. It was Trevor's idea. Yeah, it was. Uh, but yeah, the brother-sister dynamic, though, I, I felt that. Because, like, I, I grew up... My sister's autistic, so it's... You know, she's not a science genius or whatever. But she's very smart. She's very weird. And yeah. she's very socially awkward. Mm -hmm. And I felt that kind of, like, protective nature. We were trying to, like, help her interact with people. and uh, But she's her own person. And she's going to find her own way. Yeah. So... Like I said, the dynamic between the two siblings really, 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 really reminded me of uh, my own childhood or adolescence. I think if you look at... I'm definitely going to make a lot of comparisons to the original two movies. If you look at the first two movies and you say, what are the strengths of those movies? It's the characters. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I would say having the characters be the best thing about the movie, for sure. The some other movies have succeeded doing the same kind of thing, too. Like, I would say Hellboy kind of feels very similar in that way, too, because... 
they've got like serious supernatural stuff happening. Yes, but it's being executed by characters who have great rapport with each other, good dialogue, and we like them as people. Their relationships are important. Right. And that's what ties everything together. It's a human element, even though over half the cast of that movie is not humans. (laughs) It's human elements that make the supernatural stuff feel real and feel like it like we can relate to something that's happening. Right, well, the supernatural stuff is not the stakes of the movie. Yeah, no, it's not. We're we're concerned about how these characters are going to come out in the end. Yeah. Because, like, at the end of the day, we all know it's a movie, and we know that Gozer is not going to take over the world and destroy it. We know. We know they're going to win. The point is, are they going to be okay at the end? <laughs> right. The point is, Phoebe gets to say to her mom, tearful, like, why didn't you tell me my grandfather was Egon Spengler? Why didn't you tell me, like, I'm not as weird as I've always felt that I am? And that's a valid complaint for her to have. Yeah. And it could have given her, it could have alleviated. given her, yeah, it could have alleviated that, like, self-doubt. Yeah. And Callie's reasoning for not wanting to talk about him and fearing that, like, telling Phoebe about him would just make Phoebe more distant. Yeah. It's completely valid, too. Everybody has valid motivations. Yeah. It's all very understandable. Yeah. Those are some of the good moments. Do you have any complaints about the movie? Um... I have one thing I want to say, which is the first time I watched the movie, I was very nervous to watch it. Because as a Ghostbuster, we've been very excited for this movie to come out for a while, but the experiment in 2016 went very badly. Um, And I was just nervous for this whole thing, and you know how audiences react to stuff. And so the first time that we watched it, I really tensed up when Ray and Winston and Peter showed up at the end. I was like... Oh no, are they going to steal this movie from Phoebe? Yeah, I and was... I was terrified. Yeah. And then they didn't, and it was fine. But then m- watching the movie a second time was so much better. I was you like, can, you know, it's not going to happen. And you're like, oh, hi, guys. Yeah. I'm like, oh, they're here to help. That's great. I'm glad you're here. It's still Phoebe's movie. Yeah. Because they couldn't have done it without her. Right. They were about to get fucking killed. Yes. And. Th- I don't know, like, if she could have done it without them. She couldn't, because they, her, her, the plan was good, it just, they didn't know, there was one small element they didn't know about, and so it failed. Yes. So they had to all be together to do it. That was the whole thing. Everybody played a part. Everybody had to be together. Ghostbusters United. Yes, and I thought the amount of screen time that they got... Was su- it was sufficient. Was good and not too much. Yeah. Just Venkman saying, like, one Venkman thing afterwards about, we're going to go inside and have some hot cocoa. Some of us are going to have run- rum in it. Perfect. Yeah. And uh, and so that was, like, a terrifying thing I experienced the first time. And also, the first time I watched it, when I was still really nervous, and the sheriff says, who are you going to call? I was like, uh, am I cringing? But then she literally calls the Ghostbusters. So it's a plot thing. <laughs> like, because she's like, oh, yeah, there is someone I can call. Like, so it's it's a joke, but it also serves the, the story. Well, I'm not sh- I think she already knew who she was going to call before he said that. But the fact that she did call the Ghostbusters after he said that, I was like, okay. That's, it's the language of movies. That's fine, yeah. Yeah, because then they also, as she's dialing, they show clips from the, the commercial again. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's like they, it's like they tried their best. 
<laughs> it came out really, really good. I think Jason Reitman did an amazing job. Yeah, he really did. This is definitely his best movie. Yes. Like, not even... I know I'm a little biased because I'm a Ghostbusters fan. We're both a little biased. Yeah, but honestly, like, you didn't see Juno all the way through. Uh, I like Juno. I thought it was really good. Um, but honestly, I think this is his best movie. I agree. And I hope he directs the next one also. I really do, too. I hope he's the new guy. They all want to make another one? They clearly do, because they all got together again, and now they're like... I, I, pro- maybe not Murray, but whatever. He came back. Oh, and I meant thing. like McKenna Grace and Finn Wolfhard. Oh, all them. Yeah. yeah. I'm saying I think all of them want to do more stuff. I... McKenna Grace talking about Phoebe going to prom? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I want to see what happens with that. Like, yeah, I do too. She's so invested in this character. Yeah. And I can't blame her. It's, Phoebe's a really good character. Yeah. And feminism wise, I would say there's not a lot of characters like Phoebe. No. There's not a lot of female characters who get to be... Who get to stem and be heroes. Yeah. Who get to be successful and there is no... I mean, she's too young for romantic subplot. Yeah. There's a a little bit of a hint of it there, but it's like cute and innocent kind of... Well, podcast says, will you you be be my my lab lab partner? partner? Yeah. And Phoebe says, I don't think we're going to do any labs, but But okay, yeah. I'd love to. (laughs) Yeah. It's sweet. It's very sweet and very... But, you know, like, developing that, that it could it could blossom into that right. or not. But that relationship, like, that aspect of that relationship is not a factor in the movie. Nope. It's just that one, one moment. Yeah. and That's how they became friends. And I know Phoebe has a positive resolution with her grandfather, yeah. well, his ghost, at the end of the film. But the fact that she's going through the whole thing without, like her dad or her grandfather or some, like, paternal male figure watching over her to, like... She kind of does. Egon's pointing the way a lot of the time. I feel like a lot of times girls go on these missions because they're like, my dad was an explorer and I have to explore to avenge his memory or something. But that's not what she's doing. She's like, I'm a scientist and I'm doing this science. It's here in front of me and it needs to be done. And the fact that Egon's there helping her is helpful to her and allows her to do the plot. Yeah. But she doesn't have a male person related reason for doing what she's doing. And that is absent from a lot of female characters, even if they're very likable and successful. Yeah, because in Phoebe's case, she discovers who he is. Well, it's feminist because she is a young girl who is the main character of this big movie. But yes. it doesn't matter that she's a girl. They don't ever point that out. They're like, what? Look at this girl with this proton pack. Like, no one says stupid shit like that because nobody would say that. Right. They don't make it an issue. And that's why it's effectively a feminist movie is because it doesn't matter who is a guy and who is a girl in the movie. All those characters are completely interchangeable gender-wise. Yeah, they are. And I think that's a success. And I think that now that I'm thinking about it feminism-wise, I'm like, why aren't feminists more excited about this movie? Is it because she's prepubescent? It might be part of that, but it's also because of the disaster that happened with the last one. Oh. Because they still, not all of them, a lot, there was that huge thing where they were calling a bunch of Ghostbusters fans sexist monsters if you didn't like the movie. And I feel like that carried over, and I feel like the new one's getting ignored because of that. It's really unfortunate, too, because this movie does a much better job. This is a much more effectively feminist film than Ghostbusters 2016. Uh, you are more of an authority on things like that than I am. I am a 
feminist supporter, obviously, but you're the authority on that kind of stuff. I don't know what the ultimate goal of the monolith of women is. <laughs> I know women aren't a monolith. It was a joke, everybody. Um, that's a joke. It's just a little joke. Yeah, so Ghostbusters 2016, for me, the failure of that was... The comedy was the, the main failure. thing, and throwing away continuity. Those things that I wanted to see were present in this movie, and therefore it is, in my opinion, a much more successful Ghostbusters movie. Again, I don't want to make this about Afterlife versus 2016. They're two completely different movies. They have two completely different continuities. They can both exist. Whatever. I am happy. I'm beyond overjoyed that we got this movie. Because it's what I have wanted. I think it's what Ghostbusters deserved. And I have seen a lot of people on the internet being very angry about this movie. But I haven't talked to any of them, like, in person or, like, in personal conversations. Mm -hmm. So most... I, I look forward to doing that at conventions. Thankfully, most of the responses have been overwhelmingly positive. The only negative ones I've, got, I've heard about or seen are from, like, professional critics who are just being shitty. The audience scores are very high on it. Oh, what did the critics say? The critical failures of the film oh, are. Oh, they're they they did the thing. Oh, it's it's all just fan service, and it's just coasting off the nostalgia. And some of them are like calling foul on the inclusion of Harold Ramis's likeness as critics a ghost. are saying this. Yup. Okay. Well, I would like to address both of those points by saying that I. I'm a huge fan. I was worried about fan service because I don't like being catered to. Well, I sometimes I do. No, <laughs> I was worried about fan service because I feel like it can cheapen movies and can, detract yeah. from them. And I, I know that there were a lot of moments in Afterlife that were exciting for fans, but I feel like only a couple moments were very fan servicey. Mm -hmm. And I definitely know that Harold Ramis's family wanted his ghost to be in the movie. Yeah. And Harold Ramis, before he died, wanted a third Ghostbusters movie. Yeah. Uh, some context here. They were gearing up to make a third movie. Everybody had signed on. Um, in, I think, 2013, mm -hmm. 2012, 2013. They had signed on to do another one. They had a script in place. They were getting ready to go. They formed Ghost Corps at Sony and all that stuff. And they were getting ready to make a movie. And then Harold Ramis got sick. And then Harold Ramis died. And Ivan Reitman said, I don't want to direct another Ghostbusters movie. And Sony was like, well, we've already greenlit the project. So we're going to make a Ghostbusters movie regardless. And Ivan Reitman was like, sure, I'll be producer, I guess. And then that whole thing happened where they started from scratch but they were gonna gear up to do another movie so we know for a fact Harold Ramis wanted to do another movie and every His... time he ever spoke about Ghostbusters he just was overwhelmingly positive about it he loved Ghostbusters loved the people that he made that movie with loved the fans of Ghostbusters and loved the cultural impact that Ghostbusters had on the world and and if any movie has a right to bring somebody back in ghost form it's Ghostbusters. Yeah. In my biased Ghostbuster opinion. Yeah. It's Ghostbusters. And from a personal perspective, if I was ever part of a huge global phenomenon <laughs> franchise that was about ghosts and I died in the afterlife, I would be pissed if my friends made another movie and didn't put me in as a fucking ghost. <laughs> Like, what do you think this is? So the people who made the movie, I know Jason Reitman directed and wrote it. His father is the director of the original. And just... he was there the whole time. He was on set for a lot of the shooting. He was there in, like, the creation of it, the mm -hmm. spirit of it. And so... He's a producer, too. 
I think that calling foul on the inclusion of Harold Ramis and his image yeah. is ignorant to the Ghostbusters legacy and yeah. the Ghostbusters fandom. His daughter signed off on it. His best friends signed off on it. Like, there's nobody that said, I don't, I'm uncomfortable with this. And you know how I know that? Because somebody would have said something already. Yeah. Somebody. Right. But no one said anything. If some people are uncomfortable watching the portrayed ghost of a person who's actually dead, I can understand being uncomfortable seeing that. But here's the thing. It's not like this is a new thing in movies. I mean, they can be uncomfortable. People have used existing footage or cut footage or something like that. They've been doing that forever. They could be uncomfortable with seeing it other places, too. Like, maybe these are the same critics who don't like when they did that with Peter What's-His-Face for Tarkin. Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing. In Rogue One. Yeah. Yeah. For Grand Moff Tarkin. Right. But, like, I don't have an ethical problem with any of these things, honestly, because they get permission from their surviving family members, because obviously it'd be weird and jarring to see that happen. They got blessing from Peter Cushing's family when Carrie Fisher died and they brought her back in the series, regardless of my personal feelings against Rise of Skywalker. I don't have an objection to them bringing Princess Leia back for the conclusion of the Skywalker saga. And... Her daughter was in the movie in a main role. She was in the previous movie, too. So, like, these people have support to do these things. And as long as you have that, it's fine. So I think, as a film critic, if you want to say, I don't like this, it makes me uncomfortable, and that's one reason I didn't like this movie... I rely on film critics to say, like, their personal feelings about movies. Yeah. And if I have agreed with them in the past, I it helps me judge whether or not I can use their opinion to tell if I'm going to like something. But I think that flat-out calling use of Harold Ramis' image crass... They literally said sense- lines were crossed in one of the reviews that I read. Like it's- Streams were crossed? Is that what they said? One thing I will give myself credit for is being open-minded when I see a movie. I walked into Solo fully expecting to hate the movie because of all the the behind-the-scenes drama, which we were, like, fully caught up with, and I didn't think I was going to like it, and I loved that movie. Yeah. It won me over real early, and I loved the whole thing. I think that I give movies a fair shot on their own merits just about every time. Yeah, and I think that unfortunately most critics don't share your uh, your style of watching movies. They they look at what uh, they think will be the biggest trending headline to hit, and they go with that. Can I say something about podcasting as like a film podcaster? That when I first tried to do this a couple of years ago, after recording several episodes and releasing them and feeling good about it, I started watching movies with a voice in my head that was like the commentary that I thought that I would be making later. And I was like, oh, that's bad. I got to get rid of that. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever that is, that has to stop because it's fucking with my enjoyment of the movie. Yeah. And so I stopped for a while until I could just watch movies like normal again and then later think about them and talk about them naturally. And that's where I'm at now. I don't think of my criticisms while I'm watching the movie. I'm able to just sit and watch a movie. Yeah. And if you can't do that, then don't be a critic. Right. I think that's the biggest, yeah, that's a great, succinct way of, uh, of putting it. Right. Like, I'm still reacting to the movie in real time. I'm like, ooh, I like that. Ooh, I don't like that. But I'm not preparing what I'm going to tell other people about it yeah. while I'm watching it. I'm yeah. just, like, having my own personal reactions. And then later, I tell them to you. Yeah. And I record it. Oh, we're all recording, aren't we? And I edit it. And I post yeah. it. 
Yeah. I really loved Ghostbusters Afterlife. I was surprised by how much I liked it. I hoped that I would like it, and I really, really did. And then I watched it two more times, and I liked it more every single time. Do you want to go watch it tonight? Kind of. <laughs> yeah. It'd be fun, right? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. All right. Maybe maybe, maybe we will, audience. We're going we're gonna to go watch it again. <laughs> Do you yeah. have anything else you want to say about it? Just that, on a personal note for me... Ghostbusters just hits in a very specific place in my heart that is not occupied by, I don't think, anything else, honestly. Mm-hmm. We were talking about this a little bit the other day. Um, as lo- as far back as my memory goes, Ghostbusters and, I think, Ninja Turtles mm-hmm. are there. They're always part of my life, part of what I loved, and I was obsessed with them. And the difference between them is that Ninja, Ninja Turtles has never really been given the serious treatment because it's been made for younger kids yes and caters to that audience and that's fine Mm -hmm. it's always been like oh ninja turtles but ghostbusters was always a much more mature thing and that's the part of me that latched on to it was i didn't i watched the movies before i watched the cartoon and the cartoon was always like supplemental to me it was like i'd like to see more ghostbusting adventures please (laughs) but like the movies were always where it was at for me. Those actors playing those characters. And I, I always took Ghostbusters pretty seriously because Ghostbusters took itself kind of seriously. Yeah. And seeing it finally again on the big screen in a new thing that was real and had so much effort and heart put into it. It's obvious that everyone who worked on this production really loved it. Yeah. The prop makers. People are just crazy about Ghostbusters. And I really love that they made this movie and i think that if you have recently watched the originals as an adult and you just flat out genuinely enjoyed them then you should go watch this i've talked to people who don't have like a special attachment to the original ghostbusters i talked to some has never seen the original ghostbusters and she saw the new one she was like oh it was really good I, i think i'm gonna go watch the originals now like it's just a good movie on its own because, like I said, we were talking about earlier, it's three indie movies rolled into one yeah. and it also has a Ghostbusters plot. You can watch this movie without having any idea of what happened in the other movies. Maybe some moments won't hit as hard for you, but if you allow yourself to be invested with the characters that you're meeting in this movie alone, you become invested because they're invested. I think so, too. Um, Stevie watched this, and she liked it, and she's not a big fan of Ghostbusters. Yeah. Although she has seen it because you forced her to. She has a an acceptable respect for Ghostbusters. Okay. You hear that, Stevie? You have an acceptable respect for Ghostbusters. I was going to say cursory knowledge, but okay. Sure, that too. Yeah. Well, thanks for talking about Ghostbusters Afterlife with me, and thanks for having a Ghostbusters team that I can be a part of. And thanks for putting your slime blower on me back in 2008 when we first got together. It was really fun to wear. Real quick, I want to tell one story. Okay. So you remember how I've been trying to get you to do ghost busting with me? Yes. And you kept saying no because uh, you were too cool to do costumes and stuff at that point? I wasn't too cool to do costumes. I was just too cool to do Ghostbusters. Right. And then uh, I decked out my car as an ectomobile and we were coming out of Publix. Yes. And I still talk, and you were kind of like on the fence about doing it because you had started to like Ghostbusters more and more the longer we were together because you would like accompany me to events or like see pictures from the events and like see how cool it looked or whatever. I don't know. That's my impression of what you thought. Uh, And we were walking out of Publix and I was like kind of convincing you. And I was like, all right, well, I guess just think about it for a little bit, please. That's all I ask. Just think about it. And you're like, all right, I will. I'll think about it for real. 
And then as we're approaching the car, there's a little girl standing there looking at the car, like her jaw open, looking at this car. And then I go, hi. And she goes, hi, is this your car? And I go, yeah. And she goes, are you a Ghostbuster? And I'm like, I am, yeah. And then she looks at you, a lady who looks real cool. And she's like, are you a Ghostbuster too? And I just, I, I just look at you and I go, yeah, Jackie, are you a Ghostbuster too? And you just look at me and you look at her and you go, yes, I am. <laughs> And then you became a Ghostbuster in that moment. I had to for that little girl. For all of them. Yeah. And you've had moments like that with other kids, too. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's nice being a lady Ghostbuster. Yeah. It's uh, it's just another type of uh, hero for them to aspire to be. Yeah. Thank you. You can be tough. Monsters aren't so scary. <laughs> that is a nice story. Yeah. I love that story. It's one of my favorite memories of us. I love you, too. I love you, too. There's no room for that in this serious <laughs> podcasting business. Podcasting business. Very cool. Um, as a podcast, I just want to give a shout out to Podcast the Character for promoting our medium. Yeah. Word up podcast. <laughs> right. I, I would be on Mystical Tales of the Unknown Universe. Mystical Tales of the Unknown Universe. Contact me and we can collab. Yeah. MTW. Well, that was Ghostbusters Afterlife. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. If you have any ideas or comments you want to reach out, my email is in the show notes. Feel free to reach out. If you are a Ghostbuster, I definitely want to hear from you. Come find us on our Facebook page. I know it's been a while since I uploaded my last episode, but I was really busy with some personal stuff. Don't worry. Everything's fine and back to normal now. Got several episodes in the pipeline ready to come out. That would be in the can. We've got several episodes in the pipeline. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And I hope you have a really nice week. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.